morning. Such such a great day to be here. And, and so many of you. This this is awesome. Looking forward to communion today. This will be the uh, the first time we uh, are, are doing communion since we recombined the, the two services, you know, and I've, I've been longing for this. You know, there's, there's something about uh, the whole body being together. You know, commun- communion is all about unity with our, with our Lord. We're going we're gonna to wrap up our study of Philippians today. And uh, just to give you a preview, we're going to be uh, looking at some psalms over the next several weeks, some sermons from some selected psalms. And uh, I've, I've really enjoyed this book. This is by far one of, one of my favorites. Well, today we're going to talk about Christian contentment. Christian contentment. In, in his book on prayer, Tim Keller, well, the, the book is called Prayer, that's the title. Tim Keller talks about uh, discontentment and how often we don't realize the riches that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, uh, imagine an eight-year-old, he's an eight-year-old boy playing with a toy truck and it breaks. He's disconsolate and, and he cries out to his parents to fix it. Yet as he's crying, his, his father says to him, a distant relative you've never met has just died and left you $100 million. What will the child's reaction be? He'll just cry louder until his truck is fixed. You know, he does, he does not have enough cognitive capacity to realize his true condition and, and to be consoled. He goes on to say in the same way, uh, Many times Christians lack the spiritual capacity to realize all we have in Jesus. This is the reason Paul prays that God would give Christians the uh, spiritual ability to grasp the, the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of Christ's salvation. In general, our lack of joy is, as Shakespeare wrote, the fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars but in ourselves. We are like the eight-year-old boy who rests his happiness in his stars, his circumstances, rather than recognizing what we have in Christ. So it's, it's easy for us to be discontent. You know, maybe we've been conditioned to be discontent. You know, the advertising industry is an industry that is built and designed to convince us that we need more and we need better than what we have. Yeah, I've heard it said that the, uh, the purpose of advertising is to destroy contentment. You know, if we could just get the new, the new version of, of the iPhone, we'll, we'll be happy. You know, if I could just get a new truck, well, any truck, uh, I'd, I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be happy. You know, I, I see my neighbor has one, you know, and I think, I think that would do it for me. Well... Uh, Blaise Pascal spoke of, of our human condition of, of discontentment. He says, what else does this craving and this helpness, helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are though none can help since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. You know, we have this God-shaped hole in us that only he can fill. 
So we live in a society of discontentment. But as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we, we need to rise above that discontentment. You know, we, we're, we're told, we're commanded in the Bible to, to be content. And, and how do we do that? How do we do that? You know, what's, what's the secret of contentment? Well, in today's passage, Paul is going to tell us he's found it. Read with me the last section here in, in the, the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. Starting with verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ, or through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To God and fa- to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with you, or with me, will greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray that you give us that spirit of contentment. Lord, as we uh, as we open up the, the word, uh, speak to us. Help us, Lord, to find our satisfaction and our our joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is contentment? We said it's it's commanded. We're commanded by the Bible to be content. It's not something that's just nice to have. You know, contentment is recognizing the sufficiency of what we have. Recognizing the sufficiency of what we have. And uh, we just need to look at the, uh, the Ten Commandments to see that discontentment is an issue that's been with us for a very long time. And when we look at the commandment that addresses it, the very last one, the Tenth Commandment, well, let's read it. This is Deuteronomy 5.20. It says, And you shall not, cover, or, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So this commandment is talking about covetousness. 
Covetousness. What is covetousness? It's, you know, it's an, an, an inordinate uh, desire for wealth or possessions or for another's possessions or a, a craving for a possession. You know, it's, it's a lack of contentment. It's a lack of sufficiency in what you have. You know, this, this involves envy. You know, we, we want something else that we see that someone else has. I remember in my early 20s, my uh, brother Bill, he's a year older than me. He got married. He and his wife bought a house. Now, I didn't have a wife, nor did I have a house. And uh, the Lord provided me a wife a couple years later, but, uh, you know, it wasn't until many years later, until I was in my early 30s, that I was able to uh, to buy a house, and that was something that really bothered me. You know, I, I saw him there with, you know, living the, the American dream, and I felt like I was missing out. I was I was guilty of, of covetousness and, and envy of my brother. You know, I think it's a civil, civil or a sibling rivalry thing. You know, we begrudge others because, you know, they have it, but we don't. And this isn't just true of, of physical things, physical possessions. This is true of other things as well. Good looks, eloquence. Uh, what else? We, we might covet their, their gifts, their, their national, uh, natural abilities. You know, uh, we may find that there's really no end to things that we can be covetousness about. Well, let's look at the first commandment. We, we, that was the second commandment, you shall not covet. The first one, Deuteronomy 5, 6 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, this is the remedy for covetousness. You know, it's about setting our affection on God, loving him, loving him only, not having false gods, not having idols. Remember in the Shema, we've talked about this. uh, What's the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and strength. So these, these two commandments, the, the first and the tenth, kind of bookend the other ones. They contain really the, the essence of, of this. You know, find, find our sufficiency in God and our love for him and be okay with, with what we have. Don't covet. If we, got, if we love God properly, we are not going to covet the things that don't belong to us. Well, back to our passage in Philippians here. Uh, Paul starts out this section by thanking the uh, Philippians for their gift to him. Uh, they, they had sent some sort of gifts through Epaphrodites. We talked about this early on. Remember him? You know, chapter 2, Paul had talked about uh, him as, as his brother, his fellow worker, his fellow soldier, uh, Paul had told the Philippians to uh, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. So in chapter 4, Paul, though thankful, wants the Philippians to know that it wasn't their money that motivated him to uh, do this, this ministry, this service. It wasn't their money 
that motivated him to do God's work. He's not in it for the money. And it almost seems like he's saying, you know, thanks for the gift, but I didn't really need it. <laughs> um, but he isn't quite saying that. The Frank Thielman says, Paul faces the, uh, the difficult task of showing the Philippians his genuine appreciation for their financial support, both past and present, but also showing that his work is neither dependent on nor motivated by this support. He does this by combining expressions of gratitude with qualifications to design or designed to prevent misunderstanding. So Paul's not being ungrateful. You know, he, he rejoices that it, at last they have shown their concern for him. You know, he's not saying, well, finally, you know, you, you've done this. But what he's saying is, yeah, I know it was difficult. It took a while to do it, and I thank you. I'm, I'm very grateful. We know several missionaries. We've, we've met many over the years and uh, one, one missionary couple who we spent a lot of time with was uh, Jim and Michelle Albright in uh, Longview, Texas. Our, our church had a house next to it, which was uh, provided for missionaries when they were home on furlough. So Jim and Michelle were uh, workers for uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators. Jim was a, uh, an IT guy. He, he provided IT support and programming for the Bible translators in Papua New Guinea. And um, the, uh, the rotation he was on, he would, he would work there for three years and then come home on furlough. And during the year he was on furlough, most of his time, most of their time was going around the country, visiting churches, talking to people, spending time with the people who provided their support. Wycliffe didn't pay him anything. All his all his support came from churches and, and from fellow believers. Uh, they were really grateful for the support that they got. And he was he was a very humble, kind of unassuming guy, Jim. Never laid a guilt trip on anybody. Uh, they they didn't live a luxurious life in Papua New Guinea. In fact, their, their conditions there were, were very austere. But they were content. They loved what they did. They loved working to bring God's word to people who'd never heard it before. They didn't feel entitled. Um, always very thankful. And I think that's the kind of attitude that you see in Paul here. So though he's in prison, he says, you know, I, I really don't want to talk about my needs. You know, I'm, I'm content with what I have. So how can he say this? You know, that, that, and that's, that's my second point. You know, how, how do we find contentment? Well, he said, I've learned to do so. I've learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. So that Paul tells us this says that he hasn't always been content. It was something he had to learn. It tells us that there was a time when he struggled with contentment. He didn't always know how to handle situations when he was in need. It did not come automatically. 
Contentment requires a a change in our attitude, a change in our heart. It requires a a transformation in the way we we look at things. We, We learn contentment as we learn to love God and as we learn not to covet. You know, we we learn to look at our circumstances differently. So Paul describes this journey. He describes this process. He says, "I, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So whether he was staying in a nice house, eating good meals, or whether he was going hungry and sleeping under a tree outdoors. He knew how to be good with with his circumstances. You know, whether he was traveling on a ship or sitting in prison, he he learned the sufficiency of loving and and serving God. He wasn't envious of, of people like Lydia. Remember, she was this successful businesswoman who was one of the first people he met and became converted from the uh, church of Philippi. Remember, she was the the seller of purple fabric. Now, contentment does not mean that we're just okay with everything, that we're always going to be okay with things the way they are. There there are things sometimes that need to be changed. You know, if if a relationship is broken... For example, you know, we don't just say, well, this is the way it's going to be. I'm going to be happy with this bad relationship. I'll just learn to deal with it. Yeah, that's why earlier, in an earlier section, he, he told these, remember the two women, uh, Euodia and Syntyche, to, to agree with the Lord, in the Lord, and he encouraged somebody else to help out. Commitment does not mean that we don't want to improve things. You know, sitting around waiting for something to happen. Uh, there, there's a saying, a quote that I that I often hear from uh, Henry Blackaby. Uh, it's from this, this great book, uh, Experiencing God. But it goes something like this: Watch to see what God, or watch to see where God is working, and join Him in His work. And that's, that's true, but I've heard people use that as an excuse not to involve themselves in seeking change, planning, stuff like that. That's, that's a, a misuse. In fact, I corresponded with his son Richard a couple years ago because I was hearing this a lot, and I, I said, this can't be what your dad meant when he, when he wrote that, Right? And this, this is what he wrote me back. He said, uh, yes, uh, God does honor and bless planning. God gave explicit directions to the builders of the tabernacle in Exodus as well as to Noah as he built the ark. Jesus said it was wise to count the cost before going to war, etc. The statement about seeing where God is work and joining him is not an excuse for not doing anything. It's just the opposite. When you're following God's lead, he will work you off your feet. It is just that he will guide you to know what projects he wants you to do. At that point, you will need to respond by organizing and budgeting and doing everything necessary to fulfill the task God has placed before you. He said, if your church has not undertaken any major new project in years, then its people have not been listening to God. God has much for us to do if we'll listen to his voice. 
He said, my father was always led by the Holy Spirit, but we developed budgets, enlisted architects, made all kinds of plans based on what God had told us. So the thing is, you know, there, there will be things that need to change, things that we need to do, tasks that we need to uh, engage ourselves in. You know, we will often need to make corrections and changes of course. Of course, we don't make changes for the sake of making changes, but in order to do the, the work that God has given us to do. So we learn contentment. We practice it, but what's the key? What's the secret? This is what Paul is leading up to here. Contentment for Paul is not a what, but it's a who. So who is the who of of contentment, according to Paul? It's Jesus Christ. He gives us a secret in verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So for Paul, circumstances didn't matter, good or bad, difficult or easy. You know, what mattered to him was his his relationship with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He found his satisfaction. He found his sufficiency in Jesus. You know, we see this verse very frequently. This is is probably one of the most memorized verses in in the Bible. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I've seen it on T-shirts. I've seen it on bumper stickers. in, In seminary, I knew a guy that had it tattooed on his forearm. I've seen it on jewelry. I've seen it on billboards. And if we, if we take this verse in isolation, I think we can maybe kind of misconstrue what, what Paul is saying here. You know, we can, we can take it to mean something like, well, with Jesus, I can do anything I set my mind to do. Or, you know, with Jesus, I can have anything I want. Well, Jesus is not a uh, good luck charm. He's, he's not my uh, genie in a bi- uh, bottle. You know, I'm, I'm probably not going to get a, a brand new truck every year. You know, I'm, I'm not going to win the lottery. Uh, I'm not going to live a, a life that's, that's free from trials and difficult things. You know, I, I'm not going to be in perfect health. I'm not going to live for another hundred years. Paul's not claiming to be omnipotent. Uh, he's, he isn't compla- uh, claiming some exceptional ability to be able to do anything and everything. You know, we, we sometimes quote this verse to make claims that really don't fit the rest of the teaching of the, uh, the scripture. You know, Paul had weaknesses. He had limitations. We all do. The, the Greek word translated all things is uh, the simple word panta, which just means all. And we need to go back to the things that Paul has said in order to put this verse into context. His, his previous claim was that he had learned to be content in whatever situation he was in, whatever circumstances he had. He, w- he was content in prosperity and poverty full or hungry. You know, Jesus Christ had given him the, the power to endure whatever situations he was in. Jesus Christ had given him the power to be content 
despite the circumstances, but not because of the circumstances. Jesus has given him the power to endure everything as extreme as they might be. Remember, Paul mentioned in verse 6 and 7, you know, that he can lay down his anxieties and that the peace of God, the peace of God would guard his heart and mind. You know, he, he has this strength in him because he has an advocate. He has a companion in Jesus. You know, he's living in accordance with the will of God. And he writes in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, uh, Godliness with contentment is gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So this is not like Christian self-help. This isn't a hyped-up motivational speech. I could do all things through Jesus Christ. You know, he, he gives me the strength to do what he wants me to do, no matter what the circumstances. So Paul's love for Christ far outweighed any inclination he might have to be covetous or envious of another person or to feel sorry for himself. You know, go, go back to what he said in verse 4. He said, rejoice. In the Lord, always. Again, I say rejoice. You know, the key is in the Lord, those three words. We can rejoice in the Lord. We can be content in the Lord. You know, maybe maybe if we realize the riches that we actually have in Christ, uh, we'd be less likely to dwell on the things that, that we don't have. So all things... All things. That includes the good things also. As I was think, thinking about this this week, you know, it, it seems obvious that he can say that I, I can be content when I'm well fed or I'm, I can be content when things are going well. You know, can't we all? But if we think about it, maybe those are the times when we need Christ the most. Many times when we have in abundance, we want more. And we find ourselves becoming discontent with the good things that we have. You know, I can be I can be content with good food. I'm content with, with the house that, that we're in. But I want I want to know that it's because that I have the Lord and that these things mean nothing. That house can burn down, the, the food source can, can dry up, but the Lord's going to be with me always. So, you know, could it, could it be sometimes we, we find ourselves relying more on, on security and on the strength of our own resources than on Christ? I think, I think that's a danger for us. You know, can we be so comfortable sometimes that we feel entitled? Uh, you know, I've, I worked really hard for my car and my house, my bank account. I, I deserve it. Then rather than being content, I'm self-reliant. I'm self-satisfied, and then I want more. So the point is, even the good things, even the good things, maybe especially the good things we need to hand over to the Lord and acknowledge we have these because of him, and they belong to him. 
And he's given us these things so that we can minister to others, so that we can serve him. We, we must not hold on to things too tightly. And I think that's why he says in Philippians 3, 8, indeed I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You know, Paul concludes this letter saying that, uh, you know, just again, telling the Philippians, I'm grateful for your gift. Thank you so much, sort of. You know, I appreciate your gift, but I really didn't need it. You know, I'm not in this for the money. I'm okay with being in prison because I'm rich in the Lord. Remember when he started this letter, he, he said a lot of good has come from this imprisonment. You know, people are hearing the gospel. I, I, have, a, I have a captive audience here. You know, he, uh, he seems not to want to come across as ungrateful because he really isn't. You know, he, he wants to show them that uh, he honors them for their generosity and for their sacrifice and, know, and that it pleases God. He says, I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites a gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrificial or sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. God supplies Paul's needs here through the Philippians, through their hearts, through their hands, and... Uh, you know, he, he acknowledges their gift to him is really a gift to God. And he wants them to see it that way. And his final encouragement is, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in, Je- in Christ Jesus. So as they give, God gives. As, as they supply, God supplies. You know, we, we have what we need. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and supplies our every need according to the riches of his glory. You know, and we've seen this over and over in our lives. Uh, we've lived comfortably. We've lived uncomfortably. We've, we've had good times, and we've had some really hard times. But the Lord has always provided. He's always been good for us, to us. He's always been there. He's our supplier. He's our provider. And he's the only one in whom we can find true contentment. Uh, He's the secret. Jesus Christ is the secret to contentment. All we need to do is look to him in whatever our circumstances. Well, lastly, Paul gives the final greeting. Last couple verses. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So greetings all the way around. You know, this is a joyful note to conclude a joyful letter. So as we close, um, maybe you remember this song. Remember uh, Bobby McFarland? He had this song that was a number one hit back in 88, I think. Don't worry, be happy. Trite little song made me smile. You know, here's a little song I wrote. You know, don't worry, be happy. Um, cute song, but it didn't really offer any solution. You know, don't worry, be happy. Uh, 
We have the solution. We have the secret. It's Jesus Christ. He's all we need. We need to find our love. We need to find our delight, our contentment, our satisfaction, and our sufficiency in him. And if we don't, we're not going to be satisfied no matter what our circumstances. Proverbs 13.25 says, The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. It doesn't take long for any of us to come up with reasons to, uh, to kill our contentment if we're self-focused and focused on our circumstances. You know, the secret of the contentment is Jesus in relationship with him and the strength that he gives us. Let's live in him. Let's live in joy. Let's live in reliance on him. He, he provides all our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We're, we're children of the king after all. Let's pray. Father, in, in Jesus' name, uh, teach us and instruct us, Lord. Let us, let us continue to learn from you more and more. Let, it, let us truly find our, our delight in you. Uh, let, us, let us truly know the, the abundant life that is ours in Jesus Christ. Our, our joy is, is in you. Our, our peace is in you. Our salvation is in you only. And it's in Jesus' name and for his glory, amen.